Hi, everybody. It's Thursday at 5 p.m. and you are at the bar. I'm Inez Stepman with Independent Women's Forum. And I'm Jennifer Braceres with Independent Women's Law Center. So today on our eighth virtual happy hour conversation, we're talking about something that is truly at the intersection of law, politics and culture, and that is the Britney Spears conservatorship. So uh, we're going to be talking about free Britney today. Um, just between me and Jennifer, we have we have slightly different perspectives on it, but we're both kind of convincible, I think. So I think it should be a, um, a really good discussion. And definitely, if you have any questions, feel free to type them in. We'd be happy to read them and answer them. And now to get us in the happy hour mood, we are going to start off with a short clip from Will I Am and Britney Spears. If I can find it. Wait a minute. One of my favorites, actually. Here we go. I want to scream and shout and let it all out and scream and shout and let it out. We say, you know, we are, we are, we are. Hopefully that put everybody in the mood for cocktails. I'm drinking a glass of Malbec today. How about you, Inez? I have a sparkling rosé here. Um, and Excellent. speaking of, of Britney, um, last month, Britney Spears went to a court publicly to ask a California probate judge to free her from the conservatorship that has governed her life, I believe, for the last 13 years. Um, and, and basically since all those incidents that were in the press in the mid 2000s, um, when, when she shaved her head and attacked a paparazzo with an umbrella, um, since that time, she has been in a conservatorship that not only does not allow her to control her finances, but doesn't even allow her to make basic decisions about her life, including, you know, reproductive decisions about her body. Yeah, um, so basically the conservatorship is not one conservatorship. Some people don't know that. It's two conservatorships. There's a conservatorship over uh, her finances, over her estate, and there's a conservatorship over her person, um, and that deals with her, her medical issues. So at the outset, um, when she was first put under conservatorship, there was an attorney who was appointed by the court to manage her finances and her business dealings. Um, and her father, Jamie Spears, was granted conservatorship over her, her medical um, issues and her person. Eventually, for some reason, I'm not quite sure, um, the, the attorney quit. And so Jamie, her father, was given conservatorship over, over both pieces of the estate. And then at some point, several years later, he resigned from that conservatorship, from the um, from the conservatorship over her person when he had some health issues. And a woman named Jody Montgomery took over. So the current state of play is that her father, Jamie, uh, is was the co-conservator of her finances along with a bank that Brittany herself had asked for. And then Jody Montgomery was the conservator over her person, making the medical decisions um, 
and dealing dealing with you know her her daily routine um, and and her medical care. So um, most people think that her father Jamie has total control and power over everything. Um, he doesn't right now. Um, and what happened actually just yesterday was that um, she was uh, after her first. Well, we'll talk about what happened when she went to court at the end of June, but. Um, she was for the first time granted permission to hire her own attorney. And so that hearing took place yesterday. And, and that's important because she had alleged in that hearing um, at the end of June that her attorney um, had more loyalty in some way. Sorry, say that again? Sorry, there was kind of feedback, but... Um, she had alleged that her um, attorney was more loyal to her father than to her at the end of June. Um, and so the it's a big step. I mean, she posted today on Twitter. She's very, very happy about the um, being granted the right to choose her own attorney separate um, from uh, the, the attorney who had was a court appointed attorney that had been representing her interests in this conservatorship. Um, and that attorney held a uh, press conference today, I believe, uh, where he said that he would be asking um, and, and Britney Spears would be asking to remove her father entirely um, from all of these decisions. Um, and in fact, that she would be pressing charges of, of abusive conservatorship um, against her father eventually. Um, that's at least what her attorney said on the steps in a press conference. And then of course, there are these folks, the Free Britney protesters. Um, so so this, this case has really captured um, a ton of attention, obviously because Britney Spears uh, is, is such a famous person because uh, so many of us, um, especially people I think in my generation, millennials um, grew up with Britney Spears uh, at, very much in the limelight um, as much as I think any pop star has since, I'm not sure there has really been, um, if anybody it would be Beyonce, but I don't think there has been a pop star that so singularly captured the ima American imagination and the entire pop culture scene the way Britney Spears did. Um, and she was often compared at that time to Madonna before her. So um, she obviously, is somebody who has enormous talent, um, is making a lot of money, which we'll discuss as part of this case um, that makes it more complicated, uh, but also somebody who's obviously had uh, both addiction and mental health struggles in her past. Yeah, she was really a kid when she burst onto the scene. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that, that her album, um, Baby Hit One More Time, is still the best-selling album of any teen pop star ever. Um, she and she became instantly famous and surrounded by paparazzi. And you know, for those of you who don't know, her parents had other children at home, weren't able to travel with her. They had a family friend appointed um, to sort of be her her informal guardian and take her around. But she really uh, lost a lot of her childhood. Um, and I think you know, when I play this clip of her first big hit, you'll see just how young she was at the time. But let me give that a pause. So that is the classic hit me baby one more time that burst her onto the scene. Um, yeah, so a lot of I mean, the debate now really is about whether or not 
she should still be in this conservatorship. Although I think there are some people, um, maybe even including Brittany's new lawyer, who question whether she should have ever been a in a conservatorship. But I mean, just to sort of go back and review what was happening at the time, she had had uh, two 5150 holds put on her by a court, um, which were court orders for her to undergo psychiatric treatment, essentially. Um, and at the time, it did really seem as if she was in chaos. We had put those picture, the picture up briefly of her, um, of her very public breakdown. Um, and what was also happening at the time was that she was getting divorced and she was involved in a bitter custody battle. Um, I think it's not insignificant that this is a woman who hasn't had custody of her children for 13 years. Um, you know, that may or may not have been the right decision of the court at the time, but I, I tend to think that a woman, especially of her means, who hasn't had custody of her children for 13 years, that probably is somebody who's struggling with the ability to care, certainly for others, if not for herself. So I think that's a piece of it that sometimes gets lost in all this. Um, so I was I was reading um, Ronan Farrow's reporting, and it's not that I take Ronan Farrow or anyone at the New Yorker as gospel reporting. In fact, he has gotten key things wrong when reporting on some of these Me Too cases, although he's also broken really important stories. Um, and in his reporting on this, and he did an in-depth um, article over at the New Yorker about the initial conservatorship and that being placed on Brittany um, and so he brings up some details that um, I think are relevant to this debate. One, that there were people who were in favor around her that were in favor of this conservatorship that have since reversed course and think that it's inappropriate that it continues. Um, and, and two, uh, that at the time um, in the courtroom, her father, after getting uh, initially a lot of control over her affairs, um, turned to her and said, we're going to get you back in shape. We're going to get you to lose weight. And he pointed, according to Ronan Farrow's reporting, he pointed at TV and said, we're, we're, we're going to get you back on TV in eight weeks. They're going to say Britney's back. Um, yeah, you know, I just read that myself, actually. And so you and I have talked about this case quite a bit. And I think my initial perspective was a little more team conservatorship, not that she should necessarily be subject to it for life, but that I see a woman who who certainly needed help then um, seems to maybe still need help now. And my position was that uh, you know that it shouldn't necessarily be lifted right away. That that she should be evaluated, and that there should be baby steps taken towards her ultimate emancipation. But after reading Ronan Farrow's article. Um, I did find that really disturbing. And again, I, you know, who knows if it's true or not, but he really, he did paint a picture of her father as really controlling and overbearing. Um, in fairness to Jamie Spears, we haven't heard his side of the story. We don't have access to his documents. Um, but one thing I find interesting is that at least up until this point, all of Britney's family members have supported conservatorship. Her sister, her brother, her mother, her father, seemingly uh, her manager, um, and 
all the people who care about her, except maybe boyfriends who, you know, who, who knows what their interests are. Um, now you start to see people stepping back. So after her explosive testimony in June, um, you saw her sister put out a tweet saying, I love my sister, I support my sister. Now, of course, she had been getting death threats just weeks before for not being sufficiently supportive of her sister. Um, you saw her court-appointed lawyer resign. He was also getting hate mail and all sorts of things. So as, as sort of a public relations move, her testimony in June was super effective because it basically had turned everybody against her family um, to the point that I, I think even people who might think she needs the conservatorship aren't willing to say so publicly now. Her, her, her conservator, Jody Montgomery, has asked the court to pay for a bodyguard because of death threats that she's received simply for doing her job. Um, so I think it's a little hard to tell what people really think now when they're uh, you know, under pressure and in the limelight, but certainly for many years, nobody in her family thought it should be lifted. Um, so I think we should take a step back here and explain, you know, what a conservatorship is, um, what it's primarily used for. Um, and neither of us, you know, are family lawyers. Um, neither of us have background in family law in particular. Um, and so much of this case is sealed anyway, that right. it's very, very difficult to make a determination. I mean, this is really the only piece of evidence we we have is in public is her testimony and then the bare facts of whatever got into the press. Um, we, as you say, we don't have um, her father's side of the story. We don't have any of her family's side of the story. Um, but Jennifer, why don't we explain a little bit what a conservatorship is, how one finds oneself in a conservatorship? Yeah, so conservatorships are most often used um, for elderly people, people with dementia, or younger people with severe disabilities like Down syndrome who might not be able to manage their affairs and their parents or loved ones want to be able to help them. Um, this case is different because nobody alleges that Britney Spears is, you know, has dementia or, um, you know, it has, you know, is unaware of reality. Um, what is alleged is that she was at some point a danger to herself um, and that she was not able to, to manage her, her stardom or her, her medications or, or her life. And at the time that she went into the conservatorship, um, she had been worth, I think, close to $100 million at some point. I, I, I may be wrong on that, but I know that at the time she went into the conservatorship, she had blown through her almost her entire fortune and only had about $2.5 million at the time. Um, so she wasn't managing her money wisely. Um, she you know, was losing custody of her kids. She was allegedly drinking and, and using drugs. Um, and and there, no, it hasn't really been disclosed what her disorder is. Um, I've seen some people write that she, she presents like very classically bipolar. Um, and people who have bipolar disorder are often, you know, completely sane in many aspects of their lives, but just lack judgment and become manic and go on spending sprees and 
lose control of certain aspects in their life during certain periods. Um, so while she's not the, the classic case of what a conservatorship is used for, um, I, I do think that there are situations in which parents of children who have mental illnesses, um, short of you know schizophrenia and, and, and really severe uh, mental illnesses, might want to be able to use this as a tool to, to get their children help. So, so here's the counterpoint, um, which is, I mean, I guess I could give it a name, Johnny Depp, right? I mean, Charlie uh, Sheen. If, yeah, Charlie Sheen. If if uh, if the standard for a conservatorship was, you know, blows through your money, possibly addicted to substances, troubled love life. I mean, there literally wouldn't be anybody left um, in Hollywood, right? right. Uh, you know, this is not. A, a set of circumstances. I mean, the court is not there to prevent Britney Spears from making bad decisions in her life. It's allegedly there because she cannot make decisions. She's somehow incompetent to make those decisions. Because as you say, there are you know mental illnesses that present in such a way that she might seem competent at one moment and not at another. But the thing that makes me lean more team Britney is, I guess there's really two points. One, um, there is a huge financial incentive here, which we'll, we'll address, we'll get to, I guess, in a minute. Um, but that makes it very different from, for example, somebody who's on the street um, whose family wants power of attorney and wants a conservatorship so that they can, for example, forcibly medicate their paranoid schizophrenic family member and get them right. off the street. There's, there is this financial incentive here. There's a huge number of people involved in, in this whole mess who are dependent financially on Britney Spears and on her continuing to work, which brings me to my second point, which is it seems to me that even if she's capable of lucidity and even if she's capable of periods of, of competency followed by mania or whatever, um, that continuing to keep her in the public eye, making millions of dollars with a, a grueling um, residency uh, in, in Las Vegas, right? I, I think she testified. She has shows four or five times a week. She rehearses eight times a week. Um, that's that's a really grueling schedule, not to mention the fact that her initial breakdowns, as you mentioned, they were press related, right? They were fame related in many ways now that she had problems in her personal life with her ex-husband, with custody. But there's no doubt that, I mean, I think all of us could uh, you know, feel sympathy for somebody who's going through what might ordinarily just be a private rough time. Um, but she had to go through it in the full eye of the world. Mm -hmm. That adds so much additional stress to all of this. Um, I guess it, it really does make me question whether the people that are in charge of this conservatorship have as their goal working towards um, you know, a situation in which she can retake control of her life or whether it's actually quite convenient for them um, to, to make sure that she continues working uh, and making them a lot of money that they then control um, while, you know, never, you know, recovering or, 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 or not prioritizing her recovery, even to the extent mm -hmm. that she does continue 13 years, because this is 13 years, right? Like, this is not, this was, as far as we know, one episode in her life, she was involuntarily committed, involuntarily committed twice, right? In the same episode in her life. Um, 
but hasn't been since then. And it, 13 years is a long time to co completely and utterly control a 39-year-old woman's life, isn't it? No, it absolutely is. And you raised so many interesting points that I, I, I want to get to. But I think the point you're ending on um, brings us to her testimony, right? Because the only evidence that anybody has as to how she's doing now um, is, is her most recent testimony. And whatever she puts out there on her Instagram account. So let's play a clip um, and then we can discuss what we think it tells us. All right, so here is Brittany testifying in court at the end of June. It's funny to hear my manager's side of the story. They all said I wasn't participating in rehearsals and I never agreed to take my medication, which my medication is only taken in the mornings, never at rehearsal. They don't even see me. So why are they even claiming that? When I said no to one dance move into rehearsals, um, it was as if I planted a huge bomb um, somewhere. And I, I said, no, I don't want to do it this way. After that, my management and my dancers and my assistant of the new people that were supposed to do the new show all went into a room, shut the door and didn't come out for at least 45 minutes. Ma'am, I'm not here to be anyone's slave. I can say no to a dance move. I was told by my at the time therapist, Dr. Benson, who died, that my manager called him in that moment and told him I wasn't cooperating or following the guidelines in rehearsals. And he also said I wasn't taking my medication, which is so dumb because I've had the same lady every morning for the past eight years give me my same medication and I'm nowhere near these stupid people. It made no sense at all. So I remember telling my assistant, but you know what, I feel weird if I say no, I feel like they're gonna come back and be mean to me or punish me or something. Three days later, after I said no to Vegas, my therapist sat me down in a room and said he had a million phone calls about how I was not cooperating in rehearsals and I haven't been taking my medication. All of this was a false. He uh, he immediately the next day put me on lithium out of nowhere. He took me off my normal meds I'd been on for five years. And lithium is a very, very strong um, and completely different medication compared to what I was used to. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I just want to highlight a few things that jump out to me. Um, when I heard that, first I heard her say that her manager and her dancers were so concerned about her that they went into a room, had a private conversation, and ultimately one or more of them calls her psychiatrist. That's one thing I heard there. Another thing I heard there was that she has had a nurse or some other individual come to her house and administer medication for the past 13 years, or however many years she said, but years, um, which indicates to me, well, it could indicate a couple of things, but to me it indicates that she's probably not somebody who's capable of staying on medication uh, w without medical assistance or reminders or what have you. Um, and the third thing I heard there that jumps out at me, um, uh, and you know, and I'm speaking of somebody who, as, as somebody who um, knows very well, somebody who suffers from bipolar disorder and has known parents who have dealt with children with bipolar disorder. So I, I'm sort of speaking from the perspective of a concerned friend or relative. But but when I hear that her psychiatrist put her on lithium, um, that tells me that she was very, very sick. Um, it is a serious drug, but 
I can't imagine that her father, her manager, her dancers, her psychiatrist, that all these people are conspiring against her. Uh, my, my sort of default position is that when all of these people are in agreement that something's wrong, that she needs to be medicated, that her psychiatrist needs to take action, my default position is that these people have her best interests at heart. Now, maybe her relationship with her father is toxic, but it can't be toxic with all of them. Um, so I guess the responses there would be, um, there are people, I guess this is what I come back to. And, and of course we can't know for sure. Um, it's entirely possible that she really is out of touch with reality, at least at times, um, totally not in control of her, her decision-making. Um, I mean, now from a mental perspective, not because she can't make any decisions legally. Um, but there are things short of a total financial and personal conservatorship, for example, that would require her to take medication or that would be conditional on her taking medication. You know, there, there are steps short of completely controlling both her finances and her person. And we haven't gotten to one of the most explosive parts of her testimony, which is that she said um, that they forced her to get an IUD and that she was not allowed to try to have a child. Um, you know, that level of control, to my mind, is really only justified in the case that somebody is not just, you know, manic and is not just mentally ill even, but is so out of, so mentally ill as to be completely out of touch with reality and out of control. Um, like, it seems to me that she would have to be even taking into account that she might be considerably worse at some times and, and better at others. It seems to me that the standard for that ought to be extremely high. And, and there's, there's an interesting question we haven't really touched on yet. And that is, what what our tolerance as a society is going to be for eccentricity and bad decision making, right? Um, especially given where we're at politically, where uh, you know we have institutional trust falling, we have you know uh, trust in, for example, institutions that I personally I would never, even two years ago, three years ago, I, I would have never, for example, looked suspiciously at the FBI. Um, and I, I just trusted that they were doing their job um, with a high standard of, you know, of ethics, essentially. Um, and especially in that environment, I find myself very, very perturbed by anything that falls short of really obvious evidence that someone is completely unable to manage their affairs, even if they go on to manage their affairs in an eccentric or even, you know, colloquially crazy way. Um, you know, if Britney Spears wants to blow through her hundred million dollars and get into a, a series of relationships with controlling men and have children um, irresponsibly out of wedlock or whatever, you know, that doesn't make her different from millions of women in America, right? Like That is very true. I, I you know, I'm not saying those are good decisions, right. but, but, the standard is supposed to be higher than just you're going to make a lot of bad decisions right. because of course millions of women in America make those decisions every day. And then, you know, a lot of male stars make those kinds of decisions right. constantly. We're not talking about putting Johnny Depp or Charlie Sheen under a conservatorship, even though but they, I, I, I wonder, 
if Martin Sheen were with us today, if he would tell us that he wished he could have put Charlie Sheen under conservatorship. So I guess what I'm saying is you're looking at this in terms of what is society's tolerance for, for craziness or eccentric behavior. I'm looking at it as what is a parent's tolerance? And if I were Martin Sheen or I were Lynn Spears, um, I would want to be able to help a child that is clearly in distress and not only clearly in distress, but somebody who, because of their fame, somebody who strangers seek to exploit constantly. Now, it may be that it's her family that's exploiting her, but there are also lots of other people out there that are seeking to exploit her. And I have to believe that the family has the best, her best interest at heart. Now, to your point, it's been 13 years and clearly something has to change. I, I do not believe that she should be kept in this forever, but the judge is supposed to be a neutral arbiter looking out for Brittany's best interests. And the judge is already making changes. She's allowing her to have her own attorney. We'll see what the attorney asks for and what the judge grants. Um, you know, maybe, maybe her father shouldn't be a part of it. Maybe she should be allowed to take out the IUD. Maybe she should be allowed to get married. I can't answer those questions, but that doesn't mean, given her history, that we eliminate the conservatorship all at once without a psychiatric evaluation. Um, I simply think that there should be an evaluation and that the people who are neutral and the people who care most about her should get together and figure out what to do. And, and maybe the answer is ultimately to lift the whole thing. But I, I'm not so offended um, you know, by the notion that her parents put her in this situation to begin with, based on how she was acting at the time. And I can only imagine based on how she's behaved since then. Let, let's remember, this is a woman who still doesn't have custody of the children she has. And so there's probably a very good reason her parents don't want her to have more children. Um, that doesn't mean she shouldn't be allowed to, but uh, there's probably a decent reason why they don't want her to. Let's play uh, another piece of her testimony and we can dissect that a little a little further. Here's here's her talking once again to the court in June. Okay, so wait, where was I? It was like, it's, I, it was identical to Dr. Blaisman who died, the one who illegally, yes, 100% abused me by the treatment he gave me too. And to be totally honest with you, I was so... Excuse me for interrupting you. But my reporter says if you could just slow down a little bit because she's trying to make sure she gets everything that you're saying. Okay, cool. And so if you could, so okay. I have been through, and the cover set up in Westlake is identical to Dr. Benson, who died, the one who illegally, yes, 100% abused me by the treatment he gave me. And to be totally honest with you, when he passed away, I got on my knees and thank God. In other words, my team is pushing, pushing it with me again. I have trapped phobias being in small rooms because the trauma locking me up in, for four months in that place is not okay for them to send me, sorry, I'm going fast, to that small room like that twice a week with another new therapist I pay that I never even approved. I don't like it. I don't want to do that. And I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this treatment. It's not okay to force me to do anything I don't want to do. By law, at 
by law, Jody and this so-called team should honestly, I should be able to sue them for threatening me and saying, if I don't go and do these meetings twice a week, we, can, we can't let you have your money and go to Maui on your vacations. You have to do what you're told for this program and then you will be able to go. Um, wait, also took a year during COVID to get me any self-care methods during COVID. She said there were no services available. She's lying, mom. Ma'am, my mom went to the spa twice in Louisiana during COVID. For a year, I didn't have my nails done, no hairstyling and no massages, no acupuncture, nothing for a year. I saw the maids in my home each week with their nails done different each time. She made me feel like my dad does. Very similar, her behavior and my dad, but just a different dynamic. Team wants me to work and stay home instead of having longer vacations. They're, they you, they are used to me sort of doing a weekly routine for them, and I'm over it. So what struck me there is her biggest complaint seems to be that they wouldn't let her get manicures during COVID. And that sort of struck me as whatever. It didn't sound that abusive to me. Um, and she, she's talking very frenetically, very manically, in, in my opinion, uh, about Jody, her conservator, being just like her dad and not letting her get manicures. And she knows that salons are open because her mother got manicures in, in, in Louisiana. And when I heard that, I, I questioned at that point her attorney's decision to let her testify because even though it was an excellent public relations move, I think that testimony simply showed the judge why she shouldn't lift the conservatorship without a serious evaluation. Um, so she's definitely speaking quickly there, but this is also the first chance she's had to publicly testify. True. You know, um, in, in a very, very long time. Um, this is the first public challenge she's mounted really to this conservatorship. Uh, so I, I, I don't know, I, I guess, we're speculating here necessarily. Both of us are speculating like why this woman is talking very quickly, right? Um, but it, it could be that she just wants to like list all of what has been done to her. I mean, there, there have been reports where she has repeatedly tried to reach out to attorneys um, and those attempts have been, you know, uh, stymied by by her, her father and by um, people working for her father. So, you know, she's had episodes where she's gone to a spa and somebody has given her a cell phone uh, and where she, which she used to try to call an attorney. Um, I mean, that's not necessarily like she didn't take the cell phone and try to, to do something, you know, completely crazy or, or try to spend a million dollars. She took the cell phone and tried to call an attorney. Um, I guess Again, I that, that's from the Ronan Farrow piece, right? So I, I guess, yes, that's from the Ronan Farrow piece. I, I guess I, I can understand why she would try to cram everything um, very quickly into every, you know, slight of the last 13 years into her testimony and her what she probably sees as her one chance to try to reverse this conservatorship. And, and um, I guess the court, to some extent, uh, agreed with her that she should be able, at least at minimum, to be able to hire her own attorney to challenge this conservatorship um, because they they went ahead the, the news of, of yesterday and today is they went ahead and did allow her to appoint um, her own attorney as a court right. but, but to be clear her court appointed attorney quit um, and he quit because of all the public backlash she got after this testimony although interestingly in this testimony 
she, she actually speaks very sort of fondly of, of Sam, her court-appointed attorney. Um, I don't think she had major problems with him, but um, he, he did quit after this, as did the bank that was uh, acting as a fiduciary for her estate. Um, they quit too, even though she had asked for that bank to represent her finances, because I think that what happened was after um, this became public, it just became untenable to be on the other side publicly. Uh, it became untenable professionally, personally. Like I said, um, Jody Montgomery was getting death threats, uh, may still be getting death threats, apparently all because she wouldn't let Brittany get a manicure. Um, so that's not well, my point is that, threats, but that's not fair. Well, but but Jody Montgomery hasn't done anything to elicit that should elicit. Well, nobody should get death threats for any reason. Right. Of course. So so the point is, this is a woman who she was a care professional. She was originally working with Brittany to be a liaison between Brittany and her doctors. When Jamie Spears stepped aside, she was brought on to take on the conservatorship of the estate. And nobody's alleged any malfeasance by Jody Montgomery, whether financial or or any. No, nobody's alleged that she has anything but Britney Spears' best interests at heart. That's and not yet, at least again, we we don't know all of the the behind the scenes. We we only know. Yeah, what's there's, there's no public allegation that she that Jody Montgomery did anything has done any. So there are public there are public allegations that she repeated things that were told in confidence to her as an attorney um, to to Jamie Spears, to um, Brittany's father. Well, that I haven't seen, but so, she, Jody Montgomery is not an attorney. Um, and right. so th there, in fact, is there's no there's no privilege. OK, but so then so that wasn't my point that she, she violated ethics or something like that. But my my, my point was merely that Brittany's whole construction, whether or not that's a figment of her imagination, that's what she's alleging, is that right. all of the people hired by this conservatorship um, work more for her father than for her. And right. that is also true with regard to Jody. Um, there right, have been right. that all may be true and that all, it's possible that that all needs to change. But there's been no allegation of legal malfeasance. In other words, nobody has suggested that, that any of the conservators have stolen money from the account, misused funds, um, you know, done anything that violates legal ethics or, or personal ethics um, in terms of how they've, they've dealt with her. All of this has gone through the court. Um, so now, now maybe that's not true. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll find out as time goes on that there's been malfeasance, but, but Britney Spears saying that she feels that she's been abused is not evidence of abuse. That's evidence of her feelings. And and there's no indication that her finances have been, been in any way mismanaged or what have you. So when it comes to Jody Montgomery or the bank that was representing her or the attorney that was appointed by the court, these are not people who deserve death threats for doing their jobs. Of course, of course not. I, and I don't think... so. Let's broaden this out a little bit, this discussion. I think there are three points that this brings up. One is the role of the court of public opinion in yeah. legal proceedings, which we've seen recently, of course, with the George Floyd trial, um, Derek Chauvin. We've seen um, in in the case of um, 
Kyle Rittenhouse as well, right? Uh, the the um, young man who defended himself, uh, allegedly, right? Defended himself um, during the riots in Kenosha. We have these very high profile, very um, sort of high temperature cases. And there's a, there's a serious question as to uh, whether courts are influenced by um, this kind of public pressure, which obviously is not their role. The courts are not uh, supposed to care about how many free Britney uh, sign holders there are outside of the courtroom. Uh, they're supposed to impartially weigh the evidence in front of them. Um, but the other issues um, I think are that are broader here are one, Brittany in some ways is a very bad case um, because of the financial incentives involved and because she's an international pop star um, and because she's, she's frankly not the typical profile of somebody who would go under conservatorship. Um, But there, there is this, this ongoing problem, um, you know, back, back in the eighties and even before that, there were a series of changes that essentially um, took away or, or disbanded a lot of state institutions that lowered the um, the standard, or sorry, raised the standard rather, but made it more difficult to involuntarily commit people to psychiatric care. Um, and there are some people who argue that, that a large part, for example, of our exploding homelessness problem in, in American cities are people who really ought to have their power of attorney stripped from them or ought to be under exactly this kind of conservatorship um, so that they don't have the legal right to refuse medication when they're paranoid schizophrenics or, or whatever. And I guess what, what my question would be is how is it that so many people who are much more obviously out of touch with reality, right, um, and living on the street, Mm-hmm. How is it that they do not get placed under this kind of conservatorship? Because there are many of them actually who have families who desperately want to get them off the streets, but um, are not able to because they cannot get exactly this kind of conservatorship to make decisions for their family member legally. You know, that just seems so, so out of joint to me. Yes, it is out of out of joint. And my understanding of California law is actually that it's very hard to get these kind of conservatorships. That I, I read one attorney um, said, a California probate attorney who said, if you can pitch a tent, you know, under the highway and get the tent up, the court won't deem you fit for conservatorship. You're, you're, you're considered competent enough, which raises the question why they deemed Brittany competent enough, uh, incompetent enough for for conservatorship. And I think the answer uh, has to do with, again, fame and power, right? That that Britney's parents uh, were, had money. Britney's parents were powerful. Britney's parents could could hire the best people. Um, and, and, and because she was a celebrity and all of this took place under the Klieg lights and the, the pop lights of the paparazzi, um, you know, there was more evidence or, or whatever. But, but I do think that that has a lot to do with it. Now, my perspective would be that I think the parents of the homeless mentally ill should have more power uh, to care for their loved ones and get them off the streets. Um, it doesn't mean that the Spears family should have less power. Um, 
So the question in my mind is not whether families should have the power uh, to protect their loved ones. The question is really how long should they have the power for? How long should it be able to go on? And who should have the burden of proof um, of, of either keeping or lifting the conservatorship once it's in place? Um, I don't think that in the first instance, the court was wrong to grant the conservatorship in Brittany's case. And I think they should probably be willing to grant a lot more. So um, one of one of and maybe you can correct this because I really don't know. Um, one of the things that I've read and I'm just skeptical of a lot of things that I read about this case, just generally, because there is I mean, that's what we're engaging in now. The people who write who are writing these articles don't know any more than us right now talking about this right. at the end of the day. Um, but that's one of the things that has been written is that once a conservatorship is established, even if that bar is very high, that it's very, very difficult to get out from under. And that the presumption of the court is that if it was established, then it should continue. And maybe one of the, the things we should consider in terms of policy reform going forward here is perhaps the bar should be lower to establish one, but also lower to get out of it, i.e., when somebody is going through crisis, it should be maybe easier for their family um, to to make sure that, for example, they're they're off the street and taking medication, psychiatric medication. In the case of, a, I mean, a large number of the people that we see in American cities on the street are in need of psychiatric medication. Um, but maybe that, that that those bars need to be equalized in some way, that maybe it needs to be a little easier to put somebody into one of these conservatorships, but much, much easier also when they demonstrate any, you know, bare level of competency to get them out of it. And because I, I'm, I, I have to say, I return to, I, I am deeply uncomfortable with the idea that even, even granting your premise that maybe she is bipolar, maybe she is like out of control, maybe as soon as she gets out from under this conservatorship, she's going to spend every dime of her $100 million and she's going to go on a rampage. And, um, you know, I'm still deeply uncomfortable with the idea that the court hands power to control her life and even over these bad decisions um, to someone else in absence of an extremely high bar of of essentially that she is not in contact with reality um, because these kinds of bars are abused in the other direction, right? I would say that in in the case of, of the homeless problem and in, in especially California, um, it's clear to me that the bar is clearly set too high if you have people who are obviously even to me walking down the street, obviously out of touch with reality and yet cannot be in exactly this kind of conservatorship, even if their families who have, unlike Britney Spears' family, have no financial interest um, in, in controlling right. their affairs. Um, but on the flip side, you know, I, I have to say that I have this, this instinctive kind of flashing alert danger sign um, because what, what, at the end of the day, what is crazy is subjective to a certain extent. Um, and what the state considers crazy is more subjective still, right? Under the USSR, it was Spoken considered- as an immigrant from the Soviet bloc. <laughs> right, like, uh, I was born here. Um, no, I know, but your parents, right? <laughs> uh, yes, my parents are from Poland. But, uh, you know, in the Soviet Union, it was 
it was considered by courts and elsewhere um, that you would be crazy and there was no reason other than being mentally ill to oppose socialism, right? Um, and therefore many perfectly mentally healthy dissidents were sent for shock therapy treatment and other kinds of psychological and psychiatric torture in institutions, um, which was a primary place to send dissidents, right? Um, I, you know, I worry about having a, an easy bar to declare somebody's choices, not just terrible or bad judgment or whatever, but legally incompetent. Um, I, I agree. And I think there have to be a lot of checks and balances. Um, you know, it can't just be people with a financial interest. It can't just be the, the government, the state making the decision. Um, you know, but I think that when you have the checks and balances in place, when you have doctors and family members and court appointed lawyers and people are on the same page, um, I think then, you know, it's harder to question. Um, but, you know, you're right, there, there is room for reform. I, I wanna point out, I think what's interesting is you see a lot of headlines lately like this one, um, indicating that, you know, Britney Spears may be the only issue out there that can bring Republicans and Democrats together. Um, it seems to be, you know, everybody and everyone is is on her side. It's certainly the, the popular position to take. Um, you have, here's a, a slide that shows tweets from Congressman Seth Moulton and Ted Cruz, both supporting Britney Spears. It might be the only thing that Seth Moulton and Ted Cruz agree upon. Um, so, it, you know, it certainly is the popular position to take, and there certainly is room for reform, no question about it. Um, and I know in California, they have uh, several state legislators have introduced bills to reform the conservatorship process. Um, the one that seems to have gotten the farthest through the California state legislature would require fiduciaries to register um, if the estate is valued at more than $1 million. So that sort of in some sense, tries to get at your concern, Inez, that, that people who have money are more likely to be taken advantage of. Um, and it would also mandate that the fiduciaries post their fees on a website, and it would create a legal process for the courts to report all investigations. I'm not, I'm not really sure what that means. Um, and it would create a penalty of $50,000 if the fiduciaries are not acting in the best interests of the clients which I guess would be determined by the judge. So that seems like a reform that everybody can agree on. Transparency um, is certainly always good in cases like this when you have the government involved. Um, so I think that bill is certainly going to pass. Uh, the question of burden of proof is a more complicated one. Right now the burden of proof is on the person in the conservatorship, in the conservatorship to, to prove that they're fit. Uh, in order to get out of the conservatorship. And that, so what Brittany is asking for right now is to have the conservatorship lifted without a psychiatric evaluation. Um, and so it's unclear whether she'll be able to meet that burden of proof. So, you know, one question for reform might be, should they have to undergo a psychiatric evaluation? Should there be a time limit after which the burden of proof shifts to the people seeking conservatorship? Um, and I think all of those issues are, are, are up for debate and, and, you know, I don't, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I, I do just think, as you've said time and time again, there's so much we don't know. 
Um, and, you know, we've heard her accusations, but we haven't heard the defense from, from the people who think that she needs help and think that the conservatorship needs to continue. We haven't had access to those legal pleadings. So I just think it's, 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 it's a hard question to evaluate. I think, you know, if you've ever loved somebody who has a mental illness, who can't take care of themselves, um, you, you know, you might see it in a different light. Um, but I do think that there are changes that need to be made in the conservatorship. I just don't know that it's as simple as a hashtag. Well, I think there's that applies to so many issues today. Uh, I want to ask you one more question before we wrap this episode of At The Bar. You know, what, what do you ultimately, what are the next steps here, right? She, she has acquired her own attorney. Um, you know, what's going to happen in this case going forward as she tries to press her case that the conservatorship should be listed um, and then ultimately, as her attorney said, uh, press, press charges of abuse of conservatorship against her father? Yeah, so, I mean, they have to file an official uh, petition to terminate. And the way the law works in California is you can't end a conservatorship without a declaration of capacity signed by a physician who's examined her within the past six months. Um, now, the judge could get an opinion from a physician and choose to ignore it, or the judge could um, listen to what the, the doctor says. I think there are cases where the judge can lift it unilaterally, but, but those are exceptions, and those are only when, um, when the motion is unopposed. And in this case, I imagine that, that Jamie Spears um, and, and others would oppose the motion. So in that case, you need to get the physician's um, opinion uh, before, before you can lift the conservatorship. Uh, so I imagine the next legal battle will be over you know, whether or not she indeed needs that evaluation. Um, as for the conservatorship abuse, um, you know, Usually the grounds for abuse are sort of elder abuse, physical abuse, financial exploitation, breach of fiduciary duty. Um, you know, it's certainly clear that that there are a lot of emotional problems with, with, with the relationship between Brittany and her father. I'm not sure it rises to the level of, you know, financial exploitation or a breach of fiduciary duty. Those are legal questions. So that would be something a court would need to sort out. And then if the court does find that there's been abuse, um, it, you know, the court can remove the conservator and order that um, the conservator reimburse the estate for, for certain expenses if those expenses were found to be taken inappropriately. But again, um, you know, there are allegations that, that these conservators get paid for their work and maybe get paid at a high rate, but there's there hasn't been an allegation of, of breach of fiduciary trust financially in that regard. So we'll have to see what happens. I do think, as you pointed out before, though, that a lot of this is being influenced by the press, by the media. Uh, public opinion is overwhelmingly on Britney's side. Um, again, to the point that death threats are being made against people who, who raise questions. Um, and I do think for better or worse that the court is going to be somewhat influenced by that. So I do think, I do think that eventually Brittany will be out of this conservatorship. I think it's a question of when.
and a question of, of how that comes about. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap this episode of At The Bar. Um, At The Bar is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can learn more about IWF by and all of our work, me, Jennifer, and our many wonderful colleagues by visiting IWF.org. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks. But for now, we'd like to leave you with a montage of Britney's greatest hits. Enjoy. <laughs>